There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of the Cold Popshire podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch or get two extra exclusive podcasts a month, then please consider becoming a patron and joining us at www.patreon.com forward slash Popshire. Hello, everybody. It's me, AJ. I'm just coming in here at the top of the second part of our most disappointing films of 2019 episode to let you know that this is the second part of our most disappointing films of 2019 episode uh our conversation was so long the other week that i decided to you know what let's just split it into two episodes so that we can have more time to do other things with our lives you know um which doesn't really make sense because it's ultimately the same length anyway but yeah this is this is gonna come in at us talking about something i don't know what i haven't actually edited the episode yet but uh, you're in for a treat we we both are because I don't remember the conversation, um, and I forgot to say this last week. But there are in fact time codes in the show notes below if you want to avoid spoilers and that sort of thing. But other than that, uh, thank you for listening to me, and thank you for for uh, listening to me again. Now, okay, bye. Um, <laughs> okay, so next up uh, we had Detective Pikachu. Um, so this is another pretty good but disappointing. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this this is, I guess, the best video. That's that's my reaction still. It's like I guess this is the best video game movie. Um, but the, the, we talked about this with Rowan Richard about like does Detective Pikachu, and we talked about this on the last on the most anticipated as well. Does Detective Pikachu count as a video game movie? And the kind of conclusion we came to is yes, it counts as a video game movie. But other video game movies cannot learn any lessons from why. Yeah, this yeah, is it's, it's a very special it case because it's like it's not just a Pokemon movie, but it's obviously selling itself on being a Pokemon movie. But the fact that it actually adapts the storyline and the characters of the Detective Pikachu game means, mm. yeah, it is an adaptation of a video game, but it, the reason people are seeing it is because it's the first live-action Pokemon movie. And you can't you can't be like, all right, well, now we can make good video game movies. What did Detective Pikachu do right? Yeah, exactly. You can't look to it for guidance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the ending. I really yeah, didn't like- I was going to say, we're getting to this. Ger- Jeremy, how um, invested are you in Detective oh, Pikachu? Oh, no, please feel okay. free to talk. Cool. Talk freely. Okay, so, so at the end of the movie, it's revealed that Ryan Reynolds- um, the man is actually the main character's father, and that his his like spirit was transposed into his his P- Pikachu partner. Yeah, no. to, to um, save his to save his life essentially. But yeah, it's very it's quite funny because the movie makes a point of not because it has flashbacks with his dad and stuff like that, and it makes a point of not showing his face. And as soon as like they did the first one, I was like, it'll be Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then um, I yeah, the I just end. feel yeah. like the dynamic between the main character and Pikachu is not a father son dynamic. Yeah, and also y- you would remember what your dad's voice sound like if it sounded like that. Yeah, 
Um, well, you, he never he hasn't talked to his dad in years, though. Yeah, but even still, in years. Yeah, like no, like his whole life. Yeah, like, like he, he, he was a baby yeah. when he died. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, he didn't didn't die, but he. Yeah. But also, there's not a single like recording of his voice anywhere. Like no videos. No, it's more of like this a- is you're 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 nailing down the point, Jeremy. <laughs> <Yeah. is that? laughs> uh, but also, also just the, it's just a it's just weird. It's just yeah. A weird it's also weird seeing Ryan Reynolds it. play a dad like to yeah. to, to, to someone that age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Because he's still being cast as like, you know, kind of like mid thirties characters, and he's got like a a son who's like twenty, right? And yeah, it was. uh, I mean, I can see why they didn't cast Danny DeVito now because that would have been that would have been a great reveal. Um, (laughs) That your dad is just like this like seventy year old like short fat man. Um, Yeah, Detective Pikachu. uh, What else to say about it? Yeah, it's just it's just fine. It's it was also, cool to see live action Pokemon, and that's about the nicest thing. Yeah, I can say but about it's it. also um, because by the end of the film, Pikachu doesn't talk, which is like the hook of the film. It, it like deliberately goes out of its way to not set up a sequel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like for, for for a film that you assume is going to be starting a wave of live action Pokemon movies, this one deliberately makes you think: How are they going to do it? Follow, how are they going right. to follow this up? Yeah, because Pikachu, the Pikachu we know throughout the film becomes normal again by the end. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that'll be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. So, uh, John Wick 3, Parabellum, another real good film that wasn't quite as good as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, exactly. Isn't that insane? <laughs> Parabellum, man, I, I thought this movie was, I like, the, the amount of- um, like the critical response that John Wick sequels have gotten, I feel is so disingenuous to what surely is the consensus. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I feel like the first one is clearly the best one. And I like, I like two and I went into three knowing that it's, you know, was revered by, by 90, whatever percent of critics. And I was like, sweet, like this is going, it's going to be between the first one and the second one. I think I prefer the second one to the third one. Yeah. I think, I think like the quality across all of them is pretty like, it's, it doesn't waver that much, no. but it, it does go one, two, three in terms of quality. I like the, the one of the great thing about John Wick, is that it's so simple and it hints at this world building. And now by the third one, when they're so deep into this world building that I don't really care about. Um, what have we, we talked about? There was this on a podcast. We talked about it where it's like John Wick, uh, John Wick one is, oh, that's a cool world. I'd like to see more of it. John Wick two is, oh, now we're seeing more of the world. John Wick three is, no, this is too much of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I posted a status about this and heaps of people thought it meant I didn't like either film, but I was like, for a perfect day at the movies, go see the first 30 minutes of John Wick and then sneak out and go to a different cinema and watch the last hour of Endgame. But it's like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I, yeah. I, I, I loved Endgame. Obviously, I've spoken at length about that. And, but John Wick three, the start of it, I was like, "This, this is going to be the, this is going to give Endgame a run for its money." Yeah. And um, watching in a, in a crowded cinema was so good as well because there's like, th- like everyone's like, "Oh, oh, mm, like, <laughs> and, like with every single hit because there's like this amazing there's, there's like, like a knife close fight. up of someone getting stabbed in the eye. Yeah, and you know, like every single hit, people are like, "Oh, ah." And it just was, a it was just such uh, a sorry. good, like, experience watching that. And it is, like, you know, the first half hour of John Wick and the last hour of Endgame are probably, like, the most fun I'll have in the movies all year. Um, 
And people were like, oh, so you hated John Wick 3 and you hated Endgame? It's like, no. no. <laughs> After that first half hour, it actually, like, there is there is too long between action sequences. Well, yeah, but then by the time we get the next action sequence, which is John Wick and Halle Berry and their dogs versus a bunch of mercenaries, I got bored of that scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I'm totally with you, man. I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then also, and the, and the, it, 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 it ends just with, like, um, John Wick gets betrayed, shot, falls off a building- and then someone's like, should we get revenge? And he's like, yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay. I guess they're doing a fourth one. Yeah. And they, they announced the fourth one as soon as the third one finished. Yeah. Do you know how they announced it, though? They, by, by, um, by texting people that had signed up. They're like, your reservation has been confirmed. John Wick yeah, chapter yeah, four, yeah. 2021 or whatever. Um, the thing is, know. though, the guy who betrays him is- What's that actor's name? In McShane? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he is the last character who would think he's a match for John Wick. This is the <laughs> guy who every movie has been like, well, you're fucked now, aren't you? To everyone who, who crosses John Wick. And then he does it. And then he's like, yeah, I'll be fine. Like, it was so, so unre- such an unrealistic character decision. Because I'm hoping it'll reveal in the fourth one that he, you know, it's a, it's a double play that he actually... Yeah is was in on the knew that he'd survive and was doing it to save his life yeah but if it's if it's not and it's actually him going after ian mcshane i'm gonna be like that's so stupid why would ian yeah. mcshane do that yeah it would have been it, would, it could have been a really good trilogy if it had like just wrapped up and made like a like brought it back down to simple or something like that but yeah yeah there's also no, there's no good one-liner in, in John Wick 3. There's, in John Wick 1, it's where he's like, people keep asking me if I'm back, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm back. And then in and John Wick 2, it's like, tell them to, to come after me. Yeah. I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. And then John Wick 3, they don't, I can't recall a single No, the, 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 yeah, the, there's the last line of the film where it's like, you pissed off, John? And he's like, yeah, I'm pissed off. But it's, it wasn't. But it's, it's, I don't it's know. not as good. So much I, I, to me. In terms of one-liners, though, there's the bit quite at the start where it's like, "Oh, you know, everyone's out for him, like got a two six million dollar bounty on his head." I'd say the odds are about even. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> because yeah. there's, there's like every film has like at least one good like talking up John Wick line. It's great. Um, it's the best thing about the series. Is yeah, that it's it's like it's one of the only series of one of the only franchises where like you buy into the indestructible plot armor of the main character. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, kind yeah. Of the, Like what's cool about it? But he also like gets hurt and has to reload and all this stuff as well. That like yeah yeah. Um, okay, so the following week after that we had Aladdin. Very important movie for the three of us. Um, yeah. Our first podcast we ever did together was about live action remakes. No, it wasn't. Please. We did the most disappointing. No, anticipated. That was the well, first one we did together. Yeah, Richard. Regardless. Come on. Um, <laughs> yeah, Aladdin. Um, you know what? Wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> this movie was such a roller coaster because the first trailer came out and everyone was like, that looks like garbage. And then the second trailer came out and was like, this looks real good. And then the movie came Wait, out. No, no, what, no. So, no, so f- first trailer came out and people were like, um, okay, like, what the fuck is this? Then the second trailer came out and people were like, this looks garbage. And oh, then the, true, the yeah, third yeah. one came out and people were like, you know, they actually look better than I thought. And then mm. more came out. People were like, this and then, looks no, and then, garbage. And then the last thing that we saw was the um, the Prince, Prince Ali, Ali music yeah. video, uh, like the sort of that, that clip. And everyone was, and I just went, no, this, no. It's so, it is so, that clip of, because that was released beforehand, of Will Smith singing Prince Ali, that is one of the most easily deconstructible 
things I've ever I've ever experienced. Like, you know? to why like it's bad, it yeah. was so easy to point out why this is bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, um, yeah. It's it's like. It's it's just the whole movie is and for Guy Ritchie who's like you know quite an, he's like an actiony director the whole the whole movie just isn't kinetic enough and because that's what the, that's the energy Robin Williams brought to the original and I'm I'm so like for the last two years since this has been announced I've like been you know he's not trying don't just compare it to Robin Williams and then watching the film I'm like it actually is just like you have to like <laughs> you, um. And because I watched the original Aladdin real recently as well. Ooh, bad and, mistake. <laughs> and I was like, like, I watched after seeing the, the remake. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I watched the day of 48 hours because I was like, I need, to, I need to kill an hour and a half. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was like, this actually is such a good movie. Yeah. And Rob Williams is so good in it. And But so I think Beauty and the Beast probably has a better skeleton. Um, and so you can take the story of Beauty and the Beast and- like rinse it up and repackage it however you want and it's probably going to be a better movie than aladdin whereas i think what makes aladdin so great is you have robin williams as the genie you have the like awesome animation you have this like fun like all the songs and stuff like that and so i think that translating that's a little bit harder whereas yeah because the the, the skeleton story maybe isn't as good um because i mean the whole conflict of aladdin is and they kind of try to fix it in this film, but they don't really do a great job. I thought is that like uh, Aladdin says, well, "I wish for you to make me a prince," and he's now a prince. And then the whole movie, Genie's like, "You have to tell her that you're not a prince." And it's like, "Well, you—he is a prince. Like mm. the, well, the, your, your infinite cosmic power. If he is, if you have made him a prince, that means somewhere he's got like a." A kingdom and they they go into that yeah, he doesn't just remake. wish for nice clothes yeah he, yeah like he doesn't wish to look like a prince he wishes to be a prince so there's no truth to like i mean maybe tell her about the genie but like yeah yeah there's no I, truth i think he is a prince the biggest thing for me so the aladdin's interesting and i it's not my worst of the year because i think there's some elements of it that are quite fun and and definitely bits where i was like oh this is cool and yeah. i have to say that all the bits where the genie uh, all, all the bits of Aladdin where the genie is allowed to be Will Smith the genie yep, yep, rather than the bits that are just like, okay, we need to do these bits of Robin Williams genie because otherwise we're not doing a remake. Yeah. Um, those Will Smith bits, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I could, I could, I could watch this movie. I could watch a movie with Will Smith being the yeah, genie. Yeah, I could watch like, a genie with like who goes, ha ha, yeah, that's hot. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and the bit where he's like- You don't round was, me up. Sorry. Yeah, it would, yeah. Like, the bit where he's in the desert and he's like dressing him and he gets a little bit like, oh, you know, and it's just, it's quite fun, you know, like, and, and it's it's uniquely Will Smith. Yeah, the, my the, favorite bit of the film was when um, Will Smith, he's like going through the rules or something. Like, he's like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. But don't ever interrupt me again. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Like, cause, and it's genuinely like you have got a talent there and he yeah. is talented at his own thing, but he's not talented at copying someone else's thing. Yeah. And, and, you're, and, and whenever the movie tries to like just do those beats but with with people who aren't as skilled at doing that particular beat it's just it just it yeah. doesn't work and that's that's my thing is the whole film i thought is just too restrained like well, the, the other the, thing the, the, the everything about it is restrained yeah it's restrained except for and the other thing that i think that really frustrated me is that the story of aladdin is the story of a person a protagonist who is trying to come to terms with what it means to actually like be himself yeah you know and actually and and also to be uh to make the hard decisions 
to be the person that like to be the kind of leader to be you know to to not allow everyone else's expectations of him to relegate him to the background but actually to step forward and and show what he's got and the thing is that the movie obviously wanted to give Jasmine more to do, right? And so yeah. they, they I think that's probably the only positive change the film made. Well, I I think yes, but at the same time I think it hamstrings the movie from actually telling a coherent story because you get it's now you're like who's the protagonist? Is it Jasmine? Is it is it Aladdin? And so and when it comes to the end, basically Jasmine's the one who's actually got the most going on internally. Like you start focusing on her emotional like her desires, her emotional state and stuff like that. And for a film about Princess Jasmine and 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 her aspirations and goals, that's great. But in a film called Aladdin that's ostensibly about Aladdin, it's hard to import an entire kind of female empowerment storyline where we're now realizing her dreams and goals that are completely unrealistic in a medieval Arab nation. Um, but anyway, that's fine. But, you know, like suddenly we sort of like we interrupt the story about Aladdin and the genie and and his like sort of need to tell the truth and his need to kind of be who he's always meant to be to give you a story about a, a woman who's, you know, pushing out against the expectations of her time. Uh, I, I think there's a way to do it. And maybe the film didn't, I like, yeah. I, I, like, I think the, um, making Jasmine a more active character in the story is a good decision. Yeah. It's not a mistake, um, but like, they needed like, to do it better. Yeah, the, so the they- whole thing of her, like now she, she wants to rule Agrabah, mm. um, and, so that she can make all these positive changes. Um, but the the law says she has to marry a prince. Like that that's quite a good thing. And then the um whereas in the original it's just like, oh, I don't want to be Sultan. Yeah. Or the problem the yeah. problem is that you can't do a remake of the original film with the pa- and try to recapture the pacing of that film. Yeah, the pacing's the way off it. on this film. It's, the pacing yeah. goes way off because they try to add these elements in and they don't cut anything else. Yeah, so th- you, the story beats really suffer. Yeah, there's only like one or two major like scenes that you're like, oh, this is this is not present in the original. But the film's like half an hour longer than the original. Yeah, and um, yeah, like the whole thing, it's gotten a bit of flack, but the the speechless song and so it's like yeah cool give jasmine her solo song naomi scott is like one of the best parts of the movie she's got a great singing voice and the song i actually really enjoyed it as a song but it's this whole song about how i'm gonna stand up and not and and have my voice heard yeah and the way they present this is everyone turns to dust um everyone the film stops so she can sing about how everyone's going to be able to hear her now but no one can hear the song um yeah and it's 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 like that's the I, I, I like again I love the idea of giving Jasmine a song I thought and I really enjoyed the song but it, it's the definition of shoehorned in totally because it, yeah it's it's she's being taken away and then she sings and then just goes back and yeah. it's a, like no, nothing really and it changes. ignores it ignores the reality of the situation in which she would no, in no way be able to do that yeah um, and the other thing I mean and like <laughs> this is the funny thing is that Naomi Scott genuinely is the best part of the entire film every yeah, scene she's, she's, she's in too. she is the best thing about it and it's just like oh can we give her another movie please because she's amazing um, well you're getting Charlie's Angels you might re- oh really yeah she's one of the angels oh wow that's cool um, yeah so it doesn't I mean- look very good <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing is like can you give her a good movie um, but yeah it's just the other thing and this is just a, the for the musical side of things it's frustrating because they got Pasek and Paul to write that song speechless mm. and all the rest of the songs are the original Alan Menken and um, 
Uh, Tim Roy? No, 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 no. no. Um, Howard, Howard, oh, yeah. Shaw. Howard the Duck, yeah. Um, <laughs> Howard Shaw, Howard Ashman, Howard Ashman. Yeah. Um, and and the thing is, Alan Menken is still alive, and that yeah. they should have got Alan Menken to come back and write the music mm. for new lyrics because the speechless as a song sticks out like a sore thumb from the rest of the movie. It does it's, not feel yeah, the it's, same. It's very great, Shaman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like how we get around um, discussing feminism aspects on this show now by being like, it wasn't feminist enough. That's my problem <laughs> with it. Well, no, it's <laughs> like three films have done that. Yeah. But it's, 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 the thing is, it's the producer's note thing. It's like, make it feminist. It well, it's also, it's also um, we want to be in the running for best original song, Oscar. Let's give a new song to. Because- I mean, um, Beauty and the Beast had Evermore. Yeah. Um, Which was never going to win. Yeah. I thought and- Evermore was the best song in Beauty and the Beast. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't good because that was up against um, La La Land that year. So, or oh, sorry. Right. Or, or no, oh. not La La Land. It was falling City yet. of Stars. Um, oh, my but, gosh. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. Speechless is very much. And then also the Lion King soundtrack was released and there's a one track that says TBA, which is presumably going to be a Beyonce solo song. But I'm pretty sure Tim Russ wrote I'm it. so mad that Shadowland, they're not doing Shadowlands. It's such a good song anyway uh yeah AJ. i yeah i agree i thought that the speechless scene where everyone turns to dust was the worst part of the movie and is such a like a sharp hand break into mm. into nothingness but i would quite um, happy to listen to that song on yeah Spotify no, i don't, I don't mind the song and, and i thought yeah as you're saying richard that it, it was good to to tinker with jasmine's character which you can see them doing in every other live action disney remake to try and like disassemble a lot of the uh patriarchy yeah well the, a lot a lot of the like outdated moments you can see them disassembling yeah, sure, it. Yeah. um and and i think we can all agree it can somewhat get in the way of the pacing of the film but maybe i don't know maybe that's a good trade-off yeah. i don't know it's it's where it's where i think they need to move away from remakes and go into retellings because it's just like, you know, mm. Aladdin was a 90s retelling of the, you know, Arabian Nights in a thousand, what is yeah, it? Shirazadi and Felda. Yeah, like, I mean, we, I think they should just go, we're going to retell the story and it's going to yeah. be- Well, that's I, why like something like Cinderella worked. Yeah, we can, re- so we can right? reconceptualize, yeah. we can reconceptualize this, this movie and this story and retell it in a way that makes sense for today rather than going, let's make it all look the same, but just live action. I just yeah. think it's dangerous to do the Renaissance Disney period as your yeah. live action remakes. Like, yeah, Dumbo's, like, Dumbo's ripe for in Bear Necessities. Um, <laughs> the Jungle Book. Nece- <laughs> Jung- uh. Jungle Book's, I thought Jungle Book was great. Everyone loves Cinderella. It's when you do Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or Lion King that I think people are getting upset because those ones mm. are were kind of Disney at their peak. Yeah. But the thing is that, that, that um, Dumbo didn't make any money. Yeah. yeah. Like so they're going to learn. Yeah, okay, that. well, ultimately, I don't think anyone should be making these movies, but if you're <laughs> there, going there to. You go. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, speaking back on, my, like, the whole thing being so restrained, I wish Baz Luhrmann had directed this. The Prince oh. Ali scene is so obviously just a soundstage shot by someone that doesn't know how to shoot music. Totally. And, like, like imagine, like, that with, like, because the end of that song when it's like you go da 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 and it's like you know you should you should be overwhelmed by how much is on screen oh, and this is- at that time and it's and it's not and also you're you're neutering Will Smith for that scene as well like yep. and even Prince Ali um like we, I almost prefer when he did it on the Tonight Show when he was talking about like his version of it he's like he got the um four like, on the floor yeah like, like yeah, yeah. the like you know the, the drum got beat and then um and then just kind of wrapped over it and then. It was better in the movie than it is on the soundtrack. I'll give it that. But um, yeah, like 
just let Will Smith be Will Smith. And if you're going to replace Robin Williams, they should have got Jack Black. I'm sorry, Jeremy, but like as soon as the the the, the movie opened with Will Smith singing Arabian Nights, yeah, oh, very gosh. poorly. I was like, I just had the thought of like, imagine if Jack Black seeing this. He would like Jack Black singing Arabian Nights. It's like it's such a perfect marriage of voice and song. Oh, totally. And like, look, I think my my favorite part. Totally. Like I, the best part of Jack Black, other than the holiday, is absolutely <laughs> tribute. Like, and and everything he does with. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. I could not remember the name of the band. You yeah. know, like, but like he's he's telling a story and he's not afraid of drama. You yeah, know, just as just in the same way that Robin Williams is like can use his voice to create and evoke story and drama and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that like Rob Williams, oh, I come from a land. You know, like yeah. just that, that whole yeah. thing. And and Will Smith's like. Oh, I come from a land from a far <laughs> away place. Yeah. It's like, getting okay, so you're flat, so finicky. The way, the yeah. way, that, the way. <laughs> like, yeah, like Robin Williams is like, "Well, I come from a land," and Will Smith is like, "When I come from a land." Like- <laughs> the way that the way that I described it to a friend was that the way that Will Smith sang that is it's like you're listening to a second year singing student like doing their end of year like performance piece like just trying to enunciate all the words very well and be very like I'm telling a story here and it's just like I can hear you trying just stop to me yeah. the the big kind of thing to note with Will Smith's performance um especially with the singing or just the character in general um is back to that Prince Ali song you, that clip that they released ahead of time that we were all like oh this is bad news the like immediately after that clip stopped in the movie it goes to him dressed up as a woman with all the like yes. handmaidens mm. and, and i was like this is fucking what it was missing like yes. don't 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 try to do something that was famous do, do a song that's famous because of how fun it is that he changes into all these different characters and then just have him be like He's got what is what is what's the line? It's like a hundred bad guys with swords, and he's just singing it as Will Smith. And in you know, as we know, in the in the original Aladdin, genie turns into a kid for that. Or he turns into a little leopard. Turns into a little like tiger or something. No, no, for that line, it's a hundred bad guys with swords. And then he got his. And I'm telling you, that's the line that he turns into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just miss fabulous Harry. I love the feathers. That's what I love about Genie's character is that he's such a manic. Yeah, and that's the thing. That, that's the, you need the kineticism and you need yeah. the- And it's, it's just too restrained. And um, on Prince Ali as well, um, my one of my, like, another, like, emblematic, cha- uh, you know, change that they did that, you know, signifies why the movie didn't work as well is that um, the opening of Prince Ali. So, in the original, it's like- Hey, clear the way in the old bazaar. Hey, you let us through. And so yeah. he, like he's going up to people and being like pushing them out of the way. Whereas mm-hmm. like Will Smith just comes in and goes, Hey everyone, hey, clear the way in the old bazaar. Hey, you let us through. And it's like, who are you talking to? You're just announcing totally. it. Whereas like, you know, just like running around town and yeah, like yeah, spreading yeah. the word yeah. is so great. And then yeah. also, yeah. and like my the, you know, I think we've said a lot about this, but my last thing is just Jafar sucked. Like he was too I think it's a mistake in a kid's film to make an evil character not campy. 
Um, yeah, he was because, very boring. Because then they're just evil and they're just mean and evil and not nice. And you and but there's something about a campy villain that can be at the height of their villainy. But you still yeah, really you enjoy watching the scenery, them. Yeah, it's just like I just enjoy watching like Scar as well. I love watching Scar because he's so like, oh no, and it's yeah. like there's something and and but it's really I think it's important for kids movies for the villain to actually be campy because then it puts them in like an acceptable. It, yeah, makes it, 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 it makes the evil okay yeah. for kids to watch because yeah. they're not too scary. There's something enjoyable about it. And so it's not as threatening as it otherwise would be if this character is being just deadpan serious. Yeah, 100% agree. All right. Uh, so, Jeremy, same day as Aladdin, I believe. Um, also, Brightburn came out. I think you're the only one that's seen that. Did you have anything you want to say about yeah, it? Yeah, Brightburn, just, I mean, it's, it's a really brilliant concept. And I think it's one of those movies where- you hear the concept and you're like, oh, that's so great. I mean, it, it, essentially the concept is Superman, but instead of becoming Superman, the boy becomes a supervillain. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the comet drops out of the sky. It's a baby. The couple who can't have a child find this baby and degree to sort of let's raise it as our own. Yeah. So you pick up the story and the child is, you know, after sort of a backstory, but um, the child is, you know, about to go through puberty. He's bullied. He's not super popular. He's incredibly intelligent. You've got this, like, they really work hard at developing the relationship between particularly the mother and the son. Um, But very quickly, you, I mean, essentially the film is shot as a horror. So it's it's a very weird tonal vibe where it's both a superhero movie and a horror. They're trying to sort of straddle both. And I think it's a... I liked the movie, but this, its downfall is in this trying to straddle both the super superhero genre and yeah, the horror sure. genre. Yeah, it was one that I was like mildly excited about until I saw the reviews. Like it was one that I'm not disappointed; it was bad, and I'm just like, oh yes, yeah, I just won't see it then. Yeah. I won't rush out to see it. All right, so next up we had uh, another film I was quite looking forward to, which wasn't very good, um, and that is Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Oh uh, man, here we go. Uh, this is this this and glass are my two most disappointed. Yeah, of the year. like and I hate the th- the thing of like Godzilla people being like, if you don't like it, it's because it's you don't understand Godzilla, and it's all I go to a Godzilla movie for is cool monster fights, and I got that. And it's like, well, you didn't really like. No, yeah, it's it's a weak argument. People are saying like, that's what a Godzilla movie is. It's it's just big monster fights. It's like, okay, well, if that's all a Godzilla movie was, why does this movie devote like at least fifty percent of its runtime to that. boring human characters? Yeah, the, like the human storyline. Oh, it's such a. It fucking annoys me that argument. Yeah, it's the, so, the, the it's human storyline is is so stupid. But like, it, and and then by the time you even get to the good stuff, it's not even that good. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... So, fuck you, everybody, saying Godzilla King of the Monsters <laughs> was still good. It's like, Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah, such a 100%. fucking flawed argument. And I, I get so angry when when people are, like, trying to t- tear and, me and, down and also for not you can it. have your cake and eat it, too. Like, you look at something yeah. like Pacific Rim, which I don't even seen, but it's like that delivers on the big, dumb, cool monster fights. But also the human storyline is good enough, you know? Or even God, Godzilla Jurassic 2014. Park. 2014 Godzilla. Godzilla 2014. Jurassic Park's the perfect example. Um, yeah, yeah. of like being a fantastic movie that also is a big dumb blockbuster. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, like you, you don't get a free pass for making your film shit. Yeah, um, shut up. And also, fuck, like this, this, this fucking movie is just stupid. <laughs> the like the villain. Did you it, say it, Jeremy? No, and I'm really glad I didn't. The, the, the villain has this like um, 
So Vera Farmiga is revealed to be like the bad guy, and then you're supposed to like end up sympathizing with her. But it's the whole like, oh, humans are a virus on this world, and we need to wipe them out, oh, and right. we're gonna live in harmony. And he's just like, well, I didn't think so many people would die, and it's like, <laughs> um, wow. And it has the, the, so she's. <laughs> They find out she's the villain because she, like, talks to them over Skype. And then it just, like, on her Skype feed, it, like, cuts to, like, cinematic footage of, like, all this stuff. And it's like, A, where did you get this footage? B, how are you, like, switching it and editing it, like, live? Um, mm. It's such a stupid. And then she can, like, control the monsters, kind of. And it's, like, it's actually- It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's it's actually such a stupid, terrible movie. Um, yeah. And the argument that- yeah, because between between us recording the most anticipated of 2019 and seeing this, another trailer came out, and the new trailer that came out got me so pumped for it, and I was so excited. And there were such cool, exciting reviews for it coming out, and then mm. that then the critical consensus came out, and it was real bad. And then I went and saw it, and it was real bad. Anyway, Richard and I are a little burnt out talking about this because there's actually a full Patreon episode of film franchise follow ups that you can listen to uh, <laughs> on our Patreon if you want yeah. a more in depth. So we don't um, need to go too much into it, and uh, let's yeah. move right along because the same day we also got Rocket Man came out, the Elton John biopic. This um, completely slipped past me, guys. Like I've never seen I didn't it. even. No, I never saw it. I, I it just you probably it still came can. out during a very busy period of my life, um, which you know a few weeks ago, and <laughs> I just forgot to go see it, and now I don't think it's playing anywhere anymore. No, nah, it probably it is. will be. Yeah. It's yeah, but it's too, like I don't like voice. seeing a movie this close to when I was supposed to see it. You know? <laughs> when I was supposed to see it. Um, yeah, you saw I, it, Jeremy? I feel shit about it. I, I should have seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really like this film. This, like, Bohemian Rhapsody wishes that it was half the film that Rocketman is. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, you know, the half of <laughs> the half of Bohemian Rhapsody that is that film was probably the half that was directed by Dexter Fletcher as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, thing- yeah, this this film, so it's it's not your traditional biopic. It's- um, It's a musical. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not a bio- It's not a musical biopic. It's a biopic that's a musical, which is so the right thing to do. And it- Because, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody got a lot of flack because they, like, and you know, come up with a song in the wrong time and stuff like that and it's trying to do like diegetically what rocket man does really well where um so they're like oh we need we will rock you to like come into the like it'll be a great segue for the next scene so let's just have them write it 10 years early well, yeah. whereas in rocket man it's like he's you know it's the party scene so they just sing saturday nights are right for fighting well and also the thing is that and, and the way that they do it the way that they sort of uh the storytelling device that they use is that essentially Elton John is kind of telling the story of his life. He's he's yeah. in for the most of the movie. He's in a um, in a rehab uh, group and he's kind of explaining to the group like what's gone on. Mm. And, and so he comes into this big elaborate outfit, and every time you see him, he's like taking off more of it. Yeah, it's great. And and so and so because of that, he's allowed to kind of do a flamboyant retelling of all these different parts of mm. his life, and he can and and so within the conceit of the film. You can use whichever Elton John song you want to express the emotion that's correct at the time. Yeah, which it, is which yeah. is what Bohemian Rhapsody wanted to do, but they were trying to tell just a dry historical biopic. Yeah. Whereas he's doing it's an emotional retelling musical kind of thing. Yeah, it's um, it, this is more to Elton John what Across the Universe is to the Beatles than yeah. well, what Bohemian Rhapsody is to Queen. Even to be honest, and you know, it's it's what Yesterday did. 
you know, where they basically took whatever Beatles song kind of- Yeah, it's like a jukebox because Mamma Mia. Yeah, exactly. Um, And (laughs) I think that is for me, that is the only parts, it's it's where the the movie gets let down, I think, is when it, I heard someone, I can't remember who, was talking about the movie and just saying that they didn't like the fact that it basically, it's so clear that they're going to try and put this onto West End. They're going to put this right. this movie directly onto the West End. And I think that it's basically a plan to, it's like, you've seen the movie, now come see the musical live on yeah. the West End as a jukebox musical. And so there are elements of the movie that would work live on stage. And I'm particularly talking about the scene when he's sort of finished the retelling and we've got up to the stage where he's gone to the rehab. Yeah. And there's that whole scene in the rehab circle where his younger self is in the rehab room with him and oh, he's yeah. imagining all that sort of stuff. And he's basically tells- his younger self, you know, like this real kind of therapy kind of talk of, you know, I, I need to learn to love myself and all this sort of stuff. And it's just on the nose, like it just for a film yeah. and especially for a film that's been so flamboyant and exciting mm. and all this sort of stuff. It's just like, it's again, just saying what you want the characters to say yeah. to one another and rather than like kind of- I'm still standing. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I think it's funny because in a musical on a stage, you're kind of willing just to go with it because it's yeah. happening live in front of you. Yeah. But, but in a movie, you yeah. expect more realism At from the a same film. time, though, I I prefer and applaud um, interesting storytelling decisions like that. Oh, 100%. But, like, rather than anything behind me. It certainly either. didn't make me not enjoy the movie. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, though, that the character of John Reed is in both Bohemian Rhapsody and um, Rocket Man, played by- Actors from Game of Thrones because it's um Littlefinger, uh, what's his name? Aiden. From, uh, yeah, Aiden Gillen from Ben Rhapsody is the same character as Richard Madden. And oh right, this one yeah, okay. they're the same guy. Right. Um, and they, they talked about doing a Rami Malek cameo for a bit, but then they're like, "Wait, this is stupid." Um, Thank, and that's the right decision. Thank goodness, yeah. Um, yeah, Rocket Man's a really interesting film of like you read all the stuff they almost did, and you're like, "Fuck it!" Like, <laughs> um. But yeah, Rocket Man, re- really, really happy with that film. Another uh, film I wasn't happy with, though, was the following week when we got Dark Phoenix, uh, which is the worst reviewed um, X-Men film. And you know what? Even though it was bad, I was still disappointed in it because- <laughs> Not because it was worse than what I thought it was, but because it was less interesting than what I thought it was. I, like- I, I th- we talked about this, I think, on, on our on our Patreon episode of Film Franchise Follow-Ups, where we discussed the X-Men uh, film Dark Phoenix. Um that you do like if you scale for films from like so your normal scale would be like from zero to ten but if you go from negative ten to positive ten and negative things are bad things that are still interesting to watch so like the room is like a negative ten kind of thing yeah it's yeah. like you still it's really enjoy dynamic, watching it but bad um and so something like the and if you think of like every bad thing in a film every bad or good thing like dings up or down a point yeah. and everything neutral just doesn't do anything um something like x-men origins wolverine has a lot of negative clout for me like i, I still quite enjoy watching that film because it goes so far into negatives that it's like still you can get some some enjoyment out of it but dark phoenix is so close to zero that it's just like like nothing. true neutral like yeah. i just can't be bothered with yeah. this which is exactly how I felt when I stopped watching it like 12 minutes into into watching the movie because yeah. I was just like, this is just not even even to talk about on a podcast and like be able to like enjoy talking about how bad it is yeah. and complain about it. There's actually just I don't foresee there being anything good or interesting yeah, to talk it's, about. It's, not, it's the bad kind of bad. Yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, did you walk out of the cinema that you saw Dark Phoenix? Absolutely. I walked in? out of the cinema. 
Yeah. Wow, that's amazing that you would be that frivolous with that. I had such money. commitment to spending money on a <laughs> yeah, very right. on a very yeah. legal version of the film that I definitely <laughs> paid for. Um, I I do, I was not disappointed by this movie. If anything, I was. Loser. What's Angry. the opposite of disappointed? Angry. Pointed. So I was pointed with this movie. I don't know. It, 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 <laughs> Richard and I have different. Um, different feelings towards that minus 10 to plus 10 scale whereas a zero film for me i'll often just be like yeah that's fine whatever whereas it's when you get into your negatives that i'm not always as as forgiving which i i acknowledge is probably the minority in, in thinking about that but yeah I, I i don't think this is the worst x-men film i would say it's maybe the third or fourth worst um yeah well but I, like, I, I guess my thing is like i'd rather feel hate watching a film than nothing yeah, for sure. Whereas I'd rather feel nothing. <laughs> um, it's very comfortable for you because that's what happens all the time, right? Well, it's it's why it's we talked about this on the Spider-Man film franchise Fortnite's Redux. It's why I prefer the Amazing Spider-Man to Spider-Man Three. Yeah, whereas I prefer because Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. Three is is just so has egregious, stupid. egregious moments of awfulness. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man is just kind of boring. Yeah, and I, uh, I get yeah. that not everyone feels that way. Yeah, Dark Phoenix, I don't know, Dark Phoenix, I just wasn't very interested in, like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, a, it's such a nothing film to me. Um, I don't think it was the dud, though. I, th- I still think Hellboy was the dud. Yeah, or uh, the film that came out the following week. Thanks for that segue. Men in Black International. Apparently this is awful and this is the one that none of us saw that we needed to see so (laughs) i say just just with hellboy just like with hellboy we should watch this before part two yeah um but it's funny like uh because i I had a little read of the discussion thread on reader or like or someone talking about that they'd seen it and someone was like oh like the trailer made it look like this now like everything that you think the plot is from the trailer is what happens in the movie <laughs> there's no surprises so like the thing I we talked about last time le- it is, their prediction it is, that it liam neeson is, is, is the bad guy that's, that's is, exactly is what they're talking about yeah well, and then yeah. someone was like oh so liam neeson though yeah um so yeah no surprises in that film but yeah that, that's another reading the turmoil behind the scenes like tessa thompson and chris hemsworth both hired writers to be with them on set to but to beef up their dialogue because the script was so bad wow yeah. you can do that as an actor yeah you can hire a writer yeah when you're, when you're di- they're like dialogue um you know oh my gosh yeah but yeah the whole the whole set and stuff there's a lot there's a few stories coming out now. they're quite interesting uh, I love that shit, eh? I absolutely yeah. love hearing like like you know when you get like a um oral history of a um of of, of an event or like um recently there was a really um successful oral history of um Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album and it's basically okay. just they go and interview like a whole bunch of people mm. and then just basically have like segments of like the people telling the history of how it all oh, came yeah, to nice, be yeah. and like just I've read a couple of oral histories of of terrible films and people it's kind of like the Fire Festival documentary like you just get all mm. these people talking about it kind of almost in real time like going through the history of it like and and you just kind of get to experience the events of how bad yeah. it really got 
Love that stuff. Eh? Um, but so, all right. So uh, there's a few movies that like didn't come out or got moved, moved around. There's a Grudge reboot, which I don't know if that's even happening. Um, and the Ford versus Ferrari that comes out that got moved to like an awards season thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The Child's Play reboot came out. Um, none of us saw that. We'll talk uh, about. Let's just talk about that next time. I think. Yeah. Um. And but we have two that were on my list for the most anticipated film of the year. Why? Well, let's talk about Toy Story Four. Oh yeah. Boys, boys, boys. Toys, toys, toys. Um. So Toy Story Four. Uh. This film, I was not disappointed in. I really liked it. I ranked it second, and that's Same. more a testament to how much I enjoyed Endgame than any kind of indictment. I haven't, yeah. I haven't put Story. this on my letterbox ranking yet because I've only like just seen it today. Yeah, he's still watching it. And, yeah, I just, I, I might be my number one. I just Ooh. loved this movie. I had yeah. so much fun. It was so much better than it than I even I expected it to be good, and it was better than that. And yeah. it was just. I, I just flippin' loved it, man. It was just like, oh, Pixar, you're yeah, so the, good at the, this. And it, it, it definitely, I think, sh- anyway, shuts down the whole, like, oh, they ended it so well with the third one. So like, this is a better ending. Totally. And, like, yeah, I, I people at work, I was talking about how I mentioned that I saw Toy Story 4, and they're like, oh, like, oh, well, I don't know, because, like, you know, the third one wrapped it up so well. I was like, no one who's seen the fourth one would say that. No, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and it actually is like that. Like, it'll, it'll change your mind on the ending. But it's funny, though, that it has this extra chapter, but I think- the third one is a more final ending in a way. Like the fourth one, I think actually opens up. Well, it like opens the fourth up one a new feels world. more like, oh, I could see how they'd do a sequel. Whereas the third one, I was like, I don't know how they'd do a sequel to this. You know? It's interesting because at the beginning of the year in, the, in our most anticipated podcast, I said, I'd be happy for this to be the beginning. Like I'm, I'm a bit annoyed having a fourth one, but right, I'd be happy yeah. for this one to yeah, begin, just an ugly be number. the beginning of a new trilogy. And that's how it feels. Like the third one closed off that whole chapter of the toy's life. Mm. And like of the Andy chapter. And then this four is the beginning of, you know, it could be any number of new beginnings. Yeah. Well, but not yeah. with the same group of toys. Yeah, sure. It's it's like, because um, three is one of those endings where, you know, he get, he get given to Bonnie and Woody's now got a kid again. Mm. And w- when you think about it, you're like, you know, what's going to happen when Bonnie grows up? Whereas this one is like, spoilers to us, Woody's like- given his purpose in life yeah. and is now finally like and that's kind of the, the sense that it like almost leaves it more open for a sequel because it's like we could just see the entire rest of Woody's life now because he's yeah. he's found his true calling but it would be the Woody movies it would not be yeah, the Toy exactly. Story and, and that's the thing and, and I'm going to steal what AJ said um, off pod but like Three is an ending for the entire group. Like, it yep. closes off the group and Andy, whereas three is Woody's closure. Four. Uh, four, sorry, is Woody's closure. And it, How dare you? People talk about the the side characters, although the rest of the gang being relegated to very, very, very supporting roles yeah. in the fourth one. But it's, it's, it's not their story. It's Woody's story. Like, totally. there's this whole thing about, like, because um, Don Rickles died a couple of years ago. And they're like, they managed to, like, piece together- um, like, they've got 25 years worth of audio recordings of his, and they were able to complete the film. And it's like, here's one line in the film. And it's, <laughs> hey, watch it, pal, which he says in the first film. Yeah. Um, and I think a couple of, like, exclamations and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's it's not like- They yeah. didn't manage to create a whole character for yeah. this movie. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's also not like he's the only piece. It's not like he's left out, you know? No. Because everyone's kind of relegated to that similar sort of um, level. But 
it, 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 again, it's it's fine because it's Woody's story, and it's what it's what the story needs. And mm. like, I think it's immature film. It's immature filmmaking to just go, oh, we've got these characters. We should all give them equal things to do because yeah. that's what you do when you're making a movie. It's like, no, we've got a great story yeah. that needs to be um, told. As much yeah, as I love yeah, this film, cool if you've listened to the Patreon thing, I did have one sort of like nitpick, but it's it's even that is one something I was able to get over as watching the film is that. Um, you know, Toy Story one very much sets up the the world and and shows like they're, they're, all they know is Andy's bedroom and then they go to Pizza Planet and they go to Sid's house and it's this huge epic adventure even though it's quite small in scale. Second one's you know they go across town. Third one again is like has this it has this whole prison break thing, and um you really you feel the scale of what the toys are doing. Whereas in this one, I didn't feel that scale as much, and it's like it's it's very much rush 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 to get to um the campsite carnival. and then you're just at the yeah. carnival and the antique store which are opposite each other and so i mean i don't know how you would fix that and i mean i guess it's also similar to i'm just repeating what i said on the patreon podcast but um infinity war is that the fact that the battle of wakanda was the the final battle i was hoping that there would be a, a, a third thing that wasn't in the trailers oh right and so it was just like oh okay here's the antique store wow look at this here's the carnival wow look at this yeah and then so within 20 minutes i've kind of seen all the scenery the movie has to offer. Um, That's right. And, I, but I just but, did not think about that at all. But then, well, because, <laughs> because Toy Story is such an epic, like there are these quest movies essentially. And then the fourth one, it's like once you realize, okay, this is actually just Woody's story and yeah. it's a very internal movie. That's when you're like, oh, okay, like it doesn't matter. But yeah. it's I, I do love the the quest or adventure um, parts of the first three movies. And so it was just something that like, mm. you know, like that, 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 it's one of those like, if you go to this movie, just be like, hey, you know, don't expect a big quest because it's a very a personal toy, story. Toy Story 4 is a reprieve. That's all it is, man. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a Kenny this is This is a quiet, calm- it's, Yeah, it's so beautiful. I mean, the thing that I love about the movie is that- And this is what Toy Story movies managed to do, but I think this one does it better than any of the other ones, is that you've basically got kind of the the main meal of the film, like the main plot and the main kind of characters and what- So, it's, you know, it's it's Forky and- um, and Woody and Bo Peep. It's this. It's kind of their story. It's like yeah. that. That's the the three major pieces that they're sort of and wanting to get back, wanting to get Forky back. But then you've got like all these other little side characters and side moments that don't at all detract from that main meal. Mm. But they each have such incredible little individual parts to play and little moments that are just yeah. woven in so beautifully. And it's just something that Pixar does so well. And I can't think of any other movie. That 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 is so delightful, you mm. know, in terms of being mm. able to give these characters these like little moments that just made me piss myself laughing and yeah. just oh my just gosh, really this is the funniest Toy Story movie. It's so good and yeah. like oh man, like the Benson ventriloquist dolls and now yeah. like and now like at first I'm like holy shit, those things are creepy. Is this okay for a kids movie? Mm. And then like characters in the movie are like oh, you're so creepy. What the hell? Oh, when, yeah. when they when they put the doll in the pram and the yes. lady picks it up and screeches, <laughs> that was such a an out of you know, an, an, an audience surrogate moment yeah. of yes. seeing a woman scream in terror from seeing a dummy. <laughs> so that was so funny. Um, oh, I loved it so much. Yeah. I also uh, want to give a shout out to the call to the callback from one of my favorite and probably most underrated jokes from Toy Story One, which is when you when Ducky and Bunny tackle Buzz down the the rooftop and it hits his button so many times that it goes Buzz, 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 Lightyear to the rescue. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, Ducky and Bunny were so. So 
funny, man. This is the best Jordan Peele movie of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, man. Like, yeah, the, the new characters really shine on this film as well. Yeah. Which is interesting, yeah, because yeah, it's like you're essentially making everyone that we've met, apart from Woody, take a back seat, and then you, you'd be, you introduce all these new, amazing new characters. Um, yeah, well, like I say, it's definitely the funniest Toy Story movie. And, yeah. But also, man, I just have a lot of heart. This is Woody's Logan. This is Woody's- um, <laughs> Logan, that's so good. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. What I really loved- They should have called it's it Woody's Woody. Finest Hour. That's the word. What I, what yeah, I think, oh, that's awesome. What I think is really amazing is um, the way that they managed- And this is, the again, like just the brilliance of the Toy Story movies. Every time they manage to end things so well mm. and in a way that just fully realizes everything that was- all the potential that was in the plot line, all the potential that was in the story that they put in at the beginning. Mm. Um, and what I loved about it was that even things like, like Gabby, yeah, you know, Gabby, like Gabby. You, th- you think that the, the, the happy ending for her is going to go and be with Bonnie. And then like, it's so much better that she yeah. finds yeah. a girl who's alone and by herself and, and needs a friend, like just as yeah. much as she needs a friend. And like, yeah. and it's you like, got a friend of me. <laughs> like I was just so blown away by how good that choice, <laughs> by how good that choice was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, I know yeah. you mean, dude. Um, yeah, Toaster Four. Not not much to say about it because it's just so good. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I may actually I know, go. I may actually go it. and see it again. Yeah, but, I'd be keen to see it. Yeah. Again. Um. So and then June twenty eighth, we have the untitled Danny Boyle Richard Curtis film, which we now know is titled Yesterday, and we know that because we've all seen it. Um, and when did you see it, Richard? Two days ago. Oh, I saw it today. When did you see it? I AJ? saw it yesterday. Hey! <laughs> no, you didn't. Did you see it two days ago as well? No, I saw it three days ago, and you saw it three days ago. I saw it yesterday. No, I you saw you say it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> great content. What do we think of this film? Okay, can we get just like a a very wait? In- I saw initial- it two days ago. I just remembered. Yeah, we saw it the same day. Wow, suck it out, suck oh, the yeah. air out of the room, why don't you? All right, so can we just, um, on a scale of, like, like, where do you sit on the scale of how much you enjoyed the film, Jeremy? I don't want to go first. <laughs> go, well, go me first. and Richard already know how each other feel. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, huh, I don't know. I'm a little bit disappointed, but Ooh. I thought yes, it was a- re- winner, I thought it was a- I really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed the movie, but I am a little disappointed. Okay. I feel yeah. like we have the exact same feelings. I um, I fucking loved this film. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. It's like it's one of those things. And again, we're going to go into flaws and stuff, I imagine. And um, there is some kind of weak storytelling and stuff like that in there. But I mean, I, I ranked this third behind Endgame and Toy Story. Um, but yeah, I think I'm just a sucker for like. Richard Curtis films. I, I love um, About Time, Notting Hill, mm. uh, Love Actually. And the, the main sort of thing, and because it's, it's gotten pretty mixed reviews, but the main thing I think going into it, it's not a deep exploration into a, what a world without the Beatles would be like. It's a love story with a fun concept. And if you and if you look at it through that lens, you know you're more likely to enjoy it because I think a lot of the reviews are like people going in and being like, "Oh, the, you know, this wastes its premise." And mm. it's like, well, yeah, maybe maybe we could have got a bit a bit of film that explored it a lot more. But I, I think it's not about the premise; it's a, it's a love story at its core, and then it just has this fun little recipe um, for it. Yeah, the I thing th- is though, is that. So I I don't really like about time. I I finally watched it this year. I think I've watched it in between when we talked about it yeah, you did. last. Um and I didn't really like it because 
you in my mind I, I think i think i'm starting to learn i'm just not a big fan of richard curtis which is annoying because i love danny boyle um <laughs> but the for me with with about time and this and uh, yesterday feels like the spiritual successor to about time yeah like high that, concept rom-com yeah high concept um mixed with the romance but but the thing is is that in about time if you're going to tout it as a rom-com, but this time it's a time travel movie, in my opinion, you need to be, you need to lean more into the time travel aspect than the love interest, because otherwise it's just a rom-com. And while I enjoyed yesterday more than about time, it's the same thing where it's like, if you're going to say that, um, that this is a movie with this high concept and then it's also a love story. I think you need to lean more into the high concept because at least about times like human story is actually about the dad and the son and is mm. more complex. If you like with yesterday or cause I've thought about what you, what you told me you thought about it, Richard. Mm. And I'm just like, what was so good about the love story in yesterday? Oh, completely. Oh, I it's just, just I, an I average just, love story. Yeah, There's no, nothing yeah, I special just, I just about it. Into it. I, I, I fell in love with Lily James. And yeah, I mean, like, then th- that's the thing. You, you remove the, the high concept stuff from it. Yeah, it's like I wouldn't watch that movie. But the combination of the two and using, um, you know, using this jumping off point to tell the story and, and keep it there, you know, it's like- Eh, it's it's like I and I did I did like it I I would if you ask me did I like or dislike the movie I'd say I liked it but mm. I have the same problem I have with with every other Richard Curtis film and it's just that I'm as soon as the credits rolled I was asking so many questions mm. and like I, I'm not necessarily one to nitpick but I feel like these were large gaping holes in the story but it's it's less about. It's less about the high concept itself and more like something like at the end of the film, he announces that he yes. didn't actually write the songs and then he retires from fame. No, you fucking can't retire from he fame. He would be sued what the to fuck the are you gun. talking like, about? He would yeah, be sued he, like crazy by the, by the record he's label. He's like playing guitar in a, in a school classroom and is like returned to the simple life. But it's like, yeah, no, but we also don't you, know how much time has passed. But no, you just you just can't do that. No. That's the that's the drinking from the chalice that they make such a big deal out of is that you can't just return to your normal life afterwards. Yeah. Um, so Charlie Bucket's a vet. <laughs> well, yeah, you good point then. Charlie Bucket was as big as the Beatles. It's it's weird. <laughs> it's weird listening to you talk about it because it's so funny that both of us had the same opinion of yesterday, and yet I entirely disagree with everything else you said about Richard Curtis, and particularly about Time, which may or may not be my favorite movie of all time. Like I love. Really? I love. Oh, you're a loser, dude. That makes you a loser. About time, <laughs> fuck you, because about time is magic, and I love it, and I cry and every it, single and time it I see it. Breaks its time travel rules with reckless abandon, and they're all like, "Oh, you can't go back in time and change things." And then he's like, "Oh, what if we just go back in time and change one thing?" It's not about the time travel, you simpleton. Anyway, so yeah, yeah well, I, it fucking I, I should record, be about time travel. I fucking travel. love. Otherwise, about it's time. just a dumb <laughs> family this movie. This is like the perfect situation where the three of us completely disagree with each other like like the other person on like a really really key element of this but none of us had the same opinion (laughs) anyway the thing that gets me about um yesterday is that i do feel like it's um 
it promises something that is really interesting and like an exploration of something that's really, really interesting and then gives you probably the worst Richard Curtis <laughs> love story. Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not an interesting love story in any way. And in fact, um, and, and what would make the love story interesting is, is really underexplored and what, what people would actually do in that situation. But I don't, I don't mind it being more of a love story than an exploration of what a world would look like without the Beatles. But I feel like it, really i felt like i was pulling back the richard curtis curtain or the richard, the richard curtain the richard curtain, curtain. <laughs> um and i felt like i was seeing behind it for the first time and seeing all the things that people don't like about other richard curtis movies and it was bugging me for the very first time and i didn't like it because I, I i love that whole richard curtis shtick of the characters and the way they talk and the and the pattern that the pattern that they have mm. but like at the end where she was just like you know you've You've re- you've done something really bad. Like it's it's really bad. It's that that is just such a Richard Curtis kind of character decision to do, but to do it in a, like a kind of ironic way of like, but you know, I, it's so bad and everyone hates you, but I I don't. And uh, <laughs> um and and I just again it struck me that there was this guy who had done something that was pretty reprehensible and had shown himself to be deceitful and all this sort of stuff and this girl who'd done absolutely nothing wrong and in fact she had told him and given him like a multitude of opportunities to actually act on the feelings and the tension that they'd had throughout their entire relationship and the only thing he could say was like oh you've been like a sister to me this whole time and she literally lays it all out for him and says look this is the moment you know like you've had all these moments but this is the final one i'm not going to wait for you after this and he is so weak in that moment and doesn't know what he wants and doesn't know what to do and then all he has to do and and then to do what he did and like put her face up on screen at Wembley Stadium. Such a weird decision. Why did her face need to be on the screen? Such a weird decision. And to basically force her to be the focus of this moment where he's just told the entire world that he's lied to them as well um, and force her to kind of be a face as part of that and then tell her, mix that in with, oh, and by the way, I love you. And also, I know your boyfriend's here watching this, but please (laughs) respond to me genuinely in front of the entire world. I was like, what a fucking asshole. Like, that is not a good decision at all. And so it made me not, maybe want her to be like, no, you have really misjudged this moment. This is not romantic. (laughs) You need to get back on your horse. Yeah. I don't know. I loved it. (laughs) I would like to question Jeremy. And this is, Richard, maybe you can get on board with this because- it's somewhat of a defense, or but then at the same time, a criticism. Isn't that fun? <laughs> um, I would like to challenge the notion that what he did was reprehensible. Yeah, 100%. Because fuck you, in, Jeremy. In, in the, but no, but fuck you, Richard, because- Fuck you, the movie still, this, the, <laughs> Guys, the movie I love still you. treats I love it like it is something he should be ashamed of. But if, if you live in a world where there are no Beatles, and they literally have characters in the film who thank him, who like came from the from our world as well, yeah, I, I who love thank yeah, him no, for No, sorry, for but bringing- classic Richard Curtis move to excuse the bad behavior of his own characters by giving characters in the world of the film that tell you how to feel about what that yeah, character's done. Yeah, it's not done. bad behavior, but, who cares? But what is- 
the why is the behavior bad? Like what? Should he just not? This, let it's, the no, but it's, exist? sorry. It's literally the entire motivation of his character is that he realizes that there is not anything to be gained, and it doesn't feel good to claim other people's work as your own and to lie. The whole reason he starts right. feeling empty inside is because he realizes that what he's doing is not real. Right. I mean, I guess it, like the the right thing to do would have been to write the songs and say. I'm from an alternate dimension where these songs are some of the greatest songs of all time. But that's the other thing is that the other thing that really frustrated me about this movie is that everything it says about the music industry is just so demonstrably false. Like this, it's, it, it postulates that this is a world in which there is no one who just writes songs and sells them to pop artists in order. Like there is no way that anyone would, because they're like, oh, you're so ugly. And I do have to say, um, what's her face from Kate SNL? Kate McKinnon, she shouldn't have been in the film. Cast anyone else. Oh my Elizabeth. gosh, I freaking loved her. Are you she fucking was serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually honestly think Lisa of you are the person <laughs> and I want you to get out of my house. Sorry, there's so little this of is, me this that is, you think- This is a catastrophic movie for the three of us to talk about. Honestly, no, like literally, literally <laughs> that's my only complaint of the film is cast anyone else in that role. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Like having crazy eyes and raising your eyebrows when you talk, a good actor does not make. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it, it works in Ghostbusters. I, mean, I loved it in Ghostbusters, but- This um, is so- no, this I lo- is- I'm so enjoying this conversation. It's so good. What did you guys think about the decision to have several other pop cultural things not exist in this oh, movie? Yeah. I, I would have loved to have seen- I have some thoughts a, about it. Um, a common ancestor that was removed. Yeah. Or um, to like stick- Because Oasis, when, when, when he looks up and Oasis is gone, I was like- that's really clever yes. because they wouldn't exist without the Beatles. Um, but then, like, yeah, cigarettes and coke and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay. And then, so it's like, I, I think it's just the most famous thing in each industry doesn't exist. So I think what, here's what industry my, my is cigarettes ultimate- the most famous in? Oh, the, the cigarette dis- industry, you the, fucking idiot. The distraction industry. Right. Um, <laughs> here's here's my my analysis of it. It was that I feel like I am extremely fascinated by exploring a world where major pop cultural milestones have been removed yeah but and yesterday feels same, like but, one yeah. corner of what of what is a larger world that i want to explore yeah sure oh and can we also just take a moment to acknowledge how bad an actor Ed Sheeran is. I thought he was the best part of the film. <laughs> he was like, no, I'm really, I'm, I, I liked, the, <laughs> I really liked the fact that Ed Sheeran was the like it was funny and well, I especially loved, Chris Martin actually. I yeah. love really. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean th- that would have also been really good. But like I, I, I liked the fact that it it grounded the film in the real the, world. Um, the, it's just a shame that Ed Sheeran is so bad he, at acting. Oh, but then it's also like I don't know because there's the scene where he's real hurt and just goes to bed because he's a bad actor. I think that played kind of well. Yes, yeah, um, because, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But, um, or, or when when the guy raps at him and he does doesn't really reply yeah. to him, like that is <laughs> yes. that is Danny Boyle not being able to get the right performance out of Ed Sheeran and then going, you know what, just don't say anything. Yeah, um, I, I, I the, 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 my happening. favorite joke in the film though is that Ed Sheeran's has his own ringtone. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's so good. It was so good. Um, um, yeah, the last I, thing I'll say about yep. it is that. I feel like had had it just been the Beatles have disappeared, which, by the way, if this happened to me, I would notice Coke way before the Beatles. <laughs> I would notice that Coke was gone in the first day. I wouldn't notice the Beatles had gone for probably a couple of months. Um, <laughs> but, but 
imagine if this whole movie it was only the Beatles had disappeared and then you keep the Harry Potter doesn't exist joke at the end yeah. I feel like that could have been stronger as well yeah um I yeah because because none of the other things that have disappeared really affect the plot they're just like fun little things but yeah. um I um one, one thing yeah is you talked about like not know how you would take you a while to notice like I read a review that was like one of the main negative things they said about this film was how unrealistic it is that someone would be able to just come up with Beatles songs from memory. They said like, oh, he's able to come up like more than the average person would be able to do. And it's like. It's shown that he's not the average person. He's a musician. So he obviously has like an ear for this kind of thing. Two, it's shown he's a big fan of the Beatles before the disappearance. Totally. And like three, like if I got. Like if, if you just had to sit me down in a room with no music. I'd probably be able to write down the lyrics to maybe half a dozen to a dozen Beatles songs. And and I'm not like a huge fan of the Beatles. I only kind of know like the big ones. But um like give me give me a day. I could write down the lyrics to every single yellow card and busted song because yeah. they're like my favorite bands. Yeah. And like I'm sure like if someone's favorite band is the Beatles, they're gonna know their songs. <laughs> totally. Like the, 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 the fact that he couldn't remember Alan Rugby, Rugby yeah. off by heart was like my favorite part of the film. Yeah, and also yeah, like even that I was like, that's a bit unrealistic. He wouldn't know the lyrics to Alan Rugby, but like <laughs> they um, are weird lyrics. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, like they're, they're, that's the thing is that they're weird lyrics and they go in a weird order. Yeah, I yeah. love the fact that one of them says, "Oh, for the benefit of Mister Kai," is way out of order. Like when they they're the other people that know the Beatles songs, which is a weird song if you're. If you're Jack Malik and you're trying to put together like a double album, a first of, album. of the best Beatles songs, <laughs> why you'd put for the benefit of Mr. Kite on there. Um, See, here's the other problem that I had with the movie, and this reflects on me and not on the movie. Um, I do not, I am not nearly familiar enough with the Beatles. Like, yeah. I'd never heard the USSR song. I'd Diane. never heard, Long like, there were, there were like maybe four or five songs where I was like, I don't think I've ever heard this song in my life. <laughs> One of the things I life. really, one of the things I found really funny about um, uh, the movie is like when they do the first, like all the lights go off around the world. Mm. They really focus on Moscow. Like they really, I was like, they just had like a B a, a B roll footage team that went out to Moscow and got like, and so they're like, oh, we'll just but, use but, lots but, of but, that. They, they send them to like to the UK yeah. to get it, or like yeah, to, to Europe, and then they're like, all right, how much, how much did you get? And they're like, oh, we just got the Eiffel Tower. We, we, sorry. Ju- we just got to Moscow. <laughs> sorry, how much did you want us to get? Um, but one one thing I will say about this movie and why I, I think why I liked it so much, and one sort of thing I've realized about myself this year is I think I'm just a sucker for rom coms. Oh. Um, like when a rom com is good i tend yeah. to really like it so the, we've had there's actually been it's been a good year for rom-coms because we got um there was a few on netflix we got always be my maybe um which is i think is fantastic and you should check out um and then also isn't it romantic isn't it romantic is terrible um <laughs> isn't it rom- like they came together as one of my favorite movies and isn't it romantic is a pale imitation of what that's trying to do it's, it's a parody of rom-coms and isn't it romantic if you're going to check it out it's kind of all right and then it ruins itself in its final minutes it really does um but also there was a movie called long shot that came out um earlier in the year with um seth rogan and Charlize theron it's like a and it, it, it's a traditional big budget well like studio rom-com and it's so good it, it's so good I, I really really enjoyed it um and so it's like uh you know seth rogan's a, a you know your typical stoner but he's he's like a um journalist and charlie's theron is like the press secretary of the united states or the 
you know, tri- some you know powerful. She's she's basically about to run for president, and she gets Seth Rogen to because they she babysat him when they were kids, and um gets him to write like her speeches because he's really funny, and then you know they end up falling in love, but they can't be together and all this stuff. And it's it's just like a really nice, funny. Mm. funny I really want to watch it. Actually, yeah. I recommend it. Um. What else do we have? And speaking of like romance films, this is so Paddleton is a bromance film. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. This was my number two for a long time. I think it's number four now. But um, man, I've been telling AJ to watch this film since the first of February when I watched it. And it is very good. And he refuses to. And that's the argument we were having at the start, um, which you guys joined in on. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of bromance, it it's a it's a mark of it's a mark of how much I'm trying to come in between uh, AJ and Richard <laughs> is that I specifically watched this so that I yeah. could get into Richard's good books and try to drive um, a wedge between the two of you. But it's a good film, right? Yeah, so it's interesting. I actually stopped watching it 20 minutes in the first time I watched it because I was like I just don't care about either of these characters. Mm. They're such painful life sucks of people that I would not want to hang out with in real life. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, I, I don't want to spend time in a movie with people that I wouldn't want to spend time with in real life. Yeah. And so then, but then I thought about when we were going to have this conversation, yeah. <laughs> just telling you like, I didn't watch it. So I, I went back and I, maybe, maybe I was in a better frame of mind or maybe yeah. I was feeling more charitable, but I watched the rest of it and I genuinely, I think it's a very important movie. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful movie and it says it's a hard movie as well. Yeah. Because it's it's about euthanasia, um, an issue that I'm quite passionate about, um, mm. being I'm against euthanasia personally. Mm. But like and, and and this movie, spoilers for Paddleton, is a movie about euthanasia and one of the characters is basically like, Hey, I'm I'm gonna die soon and I I want to end I my do own it on life. Own terms, yeah. But I think yeah. what it does beautifully is it actually explores what it is for a human being to choose the moment of their own death. Yeah. Um and uh, and, and how and, and yeah. how we don't have a framework for what that could look like or what it should look like. And two men who are so unused to talking about love and being loved. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really um I think it's a really good film for like Kiwi men as well mm. because it's about two men, platonic friends. Yeah, that or basically all they have is each other yeah. and they're like they love each other to bits, but they can't yeah. say it that because of their own sort of well because um, of toxic masculinity yeah, because and, toxic masculinity, yeah. they can't say it to each other and so it's that friendship and i think the thing you said about how you turn it off 20 minutes in but it's a similar thing to what i had for call me by your name where i was like this is just like a um artsy kind of movie and i didn't think i liked it that much until it rips out your heartstrings at the end mm. um and then and then you realize, holy shit, I've actually learned to care about these characters yeah, so yeah. much by the end of it i've spent enough time with them to appreciate how precious their normal everyday life is to one another. Yeah. It's like, it might not be precious to me because I've got other stuff going on in my life that mm. I value, but you, you learn to get on. It's, it's an exercise in empathy essentially. Yeah. And I think it's, that yeah. it is a, it takes the chance to have some conversations about some really hidden areas of life that we don't often think or talk about mm. that, it, it really surprised me and it's a lot more beautiful than I gave it credit for going yeah. about it. A couple of other um, like Netflix releases that we, um, one we spoke about on the podcast, um, Murder Mystery, Adam Sandler's new movie. Did either of you guys watch that yet? No, I've heard <laughs> no. it's good. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't go that far, but it's it's watchable. It's, it's, it's fine. It's better than anything else um, Adam Sandler's yeah, done for a while. It's, um, if anything, you should watch it for this one extra at the end that's like the most 
baffling choice I've ever seen in a movie to leave this take in the film because it's like Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler are just like having a conversation at a train station and this one guy does the like who's walking he's between them and the camera and he does that like half sidestep we don't know which way the person coming towards you is going to go and then like breaks into a little run for two steps and then goes off out of frame it's so strange it's it's like <laughs> like it's the kind of movie you watch you'd be like what do you think how about that guy at the end <laughs> like like it's very <laughs> egregious it's so it's really strange you can i've seen clips of it on twitter um but yeah, and then also uh, another film that we were anticipating but sort of didn't know when we would see is Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, the Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Uh, did you watch that, Jeremy? No. Uh, you, good for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, like, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> this um, movie, man, is was it needed to be scary and dark and alarming and they make a creative choice to not show- Ted Any Bundy of the murders, being right? Bundy the only had- glimpse you get of what Ted Bundy actually did is when Sheldon Cooper tells you. Oh. <laughs> like, actually, Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. What? In character, and he says Bazinga. No. Um, <laughs> no, Jim Parsons' character. I'm terrified. <laughs> there's, there's a part where you see where he's finally admitting the truth to his, his like, ex-girlfriend, and it shows him, like, about to club someone with a- crowbar yeah and that to me was the most interesting part of the movie and it was like this this movie did a disservice to zach efron by not mm. letting him be psycho how good of an actor he can be because yeah. you well, don't I mean, see i think i think we did see the maximum of how good of an actor he can be <laughs> but that's oh, that's wow. more of a common I'm, I'm, I'm an efron believer yeah i don't i'm not i don't disbelieve him i i just think that there's a there's a limit to how good he can be, and the limit probably, does not exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, sick Mean Girls reference, yes! dude. Yes, AJ. Woo! I picked up on it. Obviously. Like, I don't yeah, know. yeah. I just I just love um, when AJ tells me that he gets my references because oh, yeah. it does make me feel warm. Um, it makes me feel warm inside. It's when there are relevant references, like Zac Efron isn't in Mean Girls. I know, but you said the limit. It's All right, like, guys. Yeah, anyway. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Like, we're reaching the bloody time limit for this podcast. Oh, Got yeah, there um, you go. That's because it's over. Um, yeah, that's all we're going to talk about. We'll be back at the end of the year with another three-hour podcast. Well, what's your most disappointing film of the year, audience? Um, it's been a strange year. It's been a year of films that are good but not great, and I was expecting them to be great. Hmm. Anyway, please find us on Facebook and YouTube and Acast and iTunes and Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us at coldpopsmedia.gmail.com and tell us what you think. Think I'm so hungry, man. Yeah. I'm going to go eat something. Yeah, I've got to go out. All right. I I had to be somewhere at 6 and it's 6.30. I will see you guys when I have a baby. Yeah. Can the baby baby? come on the show? (laughs) Instead of you? My child! (laughs) Um, Actually, do you remember last year, um, I bet Jeremy ever coming on the podcast again that Chaos Walking wouldn't come out (laughs) in March. And I did not take that bet. You didn't take the bet, unfortunately. (laughs) Otherwise, you would not be here right now. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Love you, bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.